I'll be reading from uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. If you want to follow along, it's a page 972 from the Red Bible in front of you. For I am now seeking the approval of men of God, or I am trying to please men. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have uh, you know, brother, that the gospel that, I, uh, that was preached by me is not men's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was it I thought it. But I receive it through a revelation uh, of Jesus Christ. The lesson tonight is what we call apologetic in nature. Apologetics. That doesn't mean we're apologizing for something, but rather it has to do with giving a defense. Why do we believe what we believe? And the question before us this evening, coming from Galatians chapter 1, and if you haven't already opened your Bibles there, go ahead and do that. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24 tonight. The question before us is, why should we listen to what Paul wrote? And before you say, well, that's a really strange question, John. I mean, Paul wrote 13 out of the 27 New Testament books. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. That's, that's what I've based my life upon. I understand that. But I will argue this evening that many, many people, even some New Testament Christians, would like to pick and to choose which of Paul's writings they want to obey. And it's become very fashionable to argue with Paul. It's become very fashionable for people from scholarly circles, people from various thought uh, perspectives to argue with some of the things that Paul has written. And the reason why they want to argue with him is because of some of the things that he wrote about specifically. Things that maybe aren't as detailed in other parts of the Bible, but still Paul spoke about very clearly. Let me give you just some, uh, just a flavor of some of the things that Paul addressed in his New Testament writings. For example, Paul is the one more than any other writer in the New Testament that tells us about the qualifications of elders and deacons. And it's become fashionable for people to say, well, those are just Paul's preferences. Those are just his perspectives. But is what Paul wrote really from God? Did what he said to us in the books of 1 Timothy and Titus, for example, did it really come from God himself? Paul is the New Testament writer who wrote most about women's role in worship, how women are to keep silent in the worship assemblies when men are present. And they're not to teach and to have authority over men. Paul's the one that wrote those things in both 1 Timothy 2 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Again, Paul is the one who wrote most about homosexuality, specifically as a sin in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, there is a very detailed discussion of this sin. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as well, it's mentioned how some of those that had become Christians in Corinth had previously lived a homosexual lifestyle, and yet they were washed and sanctified when they came to Christ and they began to live for Him. Paul wrote about those things. Paul is the one who writes about how there is one body, there's one faith, there's one Lord. The church is distinctive. 
God has created, Jesus Christ has built just one church, not a bunch of different churches. And the writings of Paul bear that out, how the church is at the center of God's plan for the redemption of mankind. Ephesians chapter four, for example. The apostle Paul writes about the purpose of baptism, the design of baptism. In Romans chapter six, he talks about how baptism is a burial with Christ and it's being raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. It is fundamental and essential to our salvation. In Colossians two, verse 12, it says, we are baptized through faith in the working of God. Paul wrote these things. Is what he said really from God? Or are these just his opinions? Are these just his ideas that he's spouted so that people can listen to what he says? Paul talked about the duration and the purpose of miracles in passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and in Ephesians chapters three and four. He talked about why miracles were temporarily given to saints in the first century. And he talked about the conclusion of that time when miracles would no longer be available because that which is perfect, the revelation that comes from God has been brought forth. When the New Testament's completed, miracles are not going to be necessary any longer, Paul argued. Paul wrote about justification by grace through faith. Romans chapters four and five, putting our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ and in what he did for us at the cross is how we are saved. It's not anything that we've earned. It's not anything that we've merited. It is something that comes from Jesus Christ and from his finished work at the cross. All we do when we obey the gospel is we accept the gift that Jesus has offered for us. And Paul would argue that once we've accepted that gift, there is nothing else that can be added to the plan of salvation and it could still be the plan of salvation. When you look at the book of Galatians, that's specifically what's at issue. There were some people in the New Testament church in the first century that were teaching that, yes, it's good for you to repent and be baptized. That's how you become a son of God, Romans, Galatians chapter three, verse 27. You become a child of God when you're baptized, but now that you've become a child of God, you ought to do the same kinds of things that the people in the Old Testament did. You ought to be circumcised and you ought to keep Sabbath days and you ought to keep some of the feast days. That's what good children of God do, they argued. And Paul argues that no, if you bind that on people and if you tell people they have to do that in order to be faithful to God, you are preaching a different gospel. You're not preaching the same gospel that I, Paul, am preaching. All those issues, and there are many more, are dealt with in the writings of Paul. And as you look at Galatians chapter one, the question again before us is, why should you and I take those things that Paul wrote and why should we believe any of them? Why should we think that those things came from God? Because that's what he's claiming. He's claiming that those things that he wrote in the New Testament and the things that he taught when he went around to different congregations in the first century, that those things came from God himself. He didn't sit around and invent a new system of theology of, of looking at how God works in the world and, and then you know, start giving this to people. Paul said, the things that I've been teaching, they came from one source and one source only. Look, if you would, at Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, the passage that Dario read just a moment ago. Paul is arguing with them and he's saying, listen, what I've been saying to you came from God, not from men. Listen, he says in verse 10, do I now persuade men or God? He says, or do I seek to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, verse 11, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. 
I neither received it, verse 12, from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where did your message come from? Galatians 1, 11, and 12, Paul makes these arguments. He says, I did not receive it from any man. I didn't go and sit down in a classroom somewhere. Nobody came and told me what I needed to be telling others. I didn't receive this gospel from any man. I wasn't taught it, he says in verse 12. I received it, he says, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to put it a different way? What the Apostle Paul is saying is, Jesus appeared to me numerous times. He spoke to me personally numerous times. That's what Paul's saying. And the things that he told me and the things that he revealed to me, those things are what I've been revealing to you. So when I tell you about what God's will is concerning the nature of the distinctive church, or when I tell you about what the Bible, or what, what God's will is concerning women's role in worship, or when I tell you about God's will concerning homosexuality, I didn't make any of this up. And I didn't learn this from any individual. This came from Jesus Christ himself. In my Bible, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in my Bible, the letters that Jesus spoke are in red. Maybe you've got a Bible like that as well. The red letters in your Bible, the words that Jesus, that came out of his mouth in the first century while he was here on earth. But did you know that there is nothing particularly better or more inherently authoritative about those red letters than there is about the black letters of the New Testament? That's what this sermon is all about. Where did the black letters come from? The things that Paul wrote in passages like Galatians and Romans and Colossians, where did the black letters come from? They came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ as well. And they are equally authoritative with the red letters, the things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, for example. The things we read in the writings of Paul came not from man, not from the teachings of someone else, but from the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as you look at Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, all the way through verse 24, what you find are three arguments that Paul gives us why we can have confidence that what he has taught is really from God. Three arguments that give us substantive evidence that the things that we believe in the New Testament really did originate with the Almighty. They didn't come from Paul's mind. Here's argument number one. In verses 13 and 14, Paul looks at his brethren, he looks at the world and he says, all right, if my teachings come from me or come from some, some uh, you know, school somewhere, explain this to me. Explain where my change, the change in my life came from. If my teachings really, if you're saying that Paul's just making stuff up, if that's what you're saying about me, Paul says, explain to me this. How did it come about that I changed? Because look at verse 13, what he says. You've heard, he says, of my former conduct before I became a Christian in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God and I sought to destroy it. I persecuted it beyond measure, he says in verse 13. So Paul's argument is, before I became a Christian, I was going around and people like you, I was trying to persecute. I was trying to destroy. In Acts chapter 8, you might jot this down in your notes, verses 1 and verse 3, Saul of Tarsus was consenting to, he was holding the coats of, the people that stoned Stephen to death. 
he approved of what they had done on that, on that occasion. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, the Bible says that Saul of Tarsus went about making havoc of the church. He would come into assemblies like this, maybe on a Sunday night when the saints were gathered around and they were observing the Lord's Supper, and he would start arresting people. Talk about an end to the assembly that you didn't expect. Paul would come in, Saul at that time, and he would arrest Christians. And he, look at what he says in verse 13. He says, I was really serious about this. I persecuted the church beyond measure. And if I could have destroyed the church, I would have done it. And not only that, he says in verse 14, he says, you've also heard about how I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my father's. So what did Paul teach? Paul taught Judaism, and he also taught Pharisaical Judaism. That is, the traditions of the Pharisees, how you need to wash your hands before you eat and make sure that you're doing everything exactly the way a good Pharisee would do it. That was Paul. He knew the Old Testament inside and out, backwards and forwards, and he was exceedingly zealous for the traditions of his fathers. And the question on the table again is this, Paul is saying, look, if what I've written about homosexuality or about women's role in the church or if what I've written about justification by grace through faith, if that came from me, explain to me why somebody who was acting this way and teaching this way all of a sudden renounced everything. Because in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 6, Jesus faced Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who was it that appeared to him? It was Jesus of Nazareth. He appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and wanted to know, why are you treating me this way? And Saul of Tarsus suddenly, within just a very couple of days, all of a sudden stopped persecuting the church and stopped being zealous for the Jewish traditions and the Jewish faith. And suddenly he obeyed the gospel. Jesus told Saul to go on into Damascus and he would send someone, Jesus would, to teach him what he must do. And Ananias, the preacher, came and spoke some words to Saul, told him to arise and be baptized to wash away his sins, Acts 22, verse 16. And Saul was baptized. And all of a sudden, this man who had been so eager to destroy the church radically, quickly changed and began to preach a much different message. Why should we believe what Saul, what Paul writes? Because of the source of his change. Because God intervened in his life, he saw Jesus Christ personally, and he heard from a messenger of Jesus what he needed to do to be saved. People don't do that typically. People who are very zealous and very passionate and very uh, eager in their religious views, whatever their views are, they don't suddenly, just within a couple of days, renounce it all and start doing something radically different unless they are convinced, unless they're convinced that this new way is absolutely correct. And Paul is saying, how else do you explain the change that took place in my life if Jesus didn't appear to me? Not only that, though, when you look at verses 15 and 16, he also talks about where his apostleship came from. How does somebody become an apostle? 
How does somebody become a, a missionary for Jesus Christ in the first century that bore the name, the title, the office of an apostle? That word apostle, by the way, is very, very special in the New Testament. It means one sent on a mission. And what Paul is claiming is that Jesus picked him out specifically for this mission, specifically. Look at what he says in verses 15 and 16. He said, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me or to me, some translations say, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He's talking about becoming an apostle here. How did the other apostles become apostles? Well, they were fishing or they were like Matthew tax collecting and Jesus walked by the places where they were working and Jesus said, follow me, follow me. He picked those men out and those men left all and they followed Jesus. Remember, that's how they became apostles. Well, Paul became an apostle after the ascension of Jesus. How did that happen? He says in verse 15, God is the one that made this choice. Jesus Christ is the one that made this choice. And it was his sovereign choice. It pleased him and he had his eye on me from my mother's womb to do this. That's what he says in verse 15. God thought about Paul and he thought about how God, God thought about how as he looked through the scheme of time and saw the kind of, th the kind of man that Paul was going to become, God said, I want that man to be an apostle. I've got a mission for him. God chose whom he would, just like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Thomas, all of those men, they were chosen by God for a special purpose. It was a gracious choice. Look at verse 15 as well. He says, to reveal or to call me through his grace. It wasn't because Paul was a good person, far from it. It wasn't because he was sympathetic to Christianity, far from it. But God said, I want you, Saul of Tarsus, to be a, a missionary, a messenger for me. It was a Christ-exalting choice. The purpose of his mission as an apostle was to reproduce Christ in others, to reveal his son in me and to have his son be preached in all the places where I would go. It's a mission-specific choice. Paul said, my task as an apostle, what God picked me for, he picked me specifically to be an apostle, a messenger to the Gentiles, to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. So while Peter and Andrew and James and John, they did some work in Gentile locations, it was Paul especially that God chose to go to Gentile regions like Asia Minor and Greece and Rome. Paul went to those places and he helped establish congregations like the one in Ephesus or in Corinth or in Athens, Greece. Paul is the one that went to places like that and did that work. And then he says at the end of verse 16, he says, and I want you to know, brethren, I had absolutely no contact with any of the other apostles for years after Jesus picked me to be an apostle. After God spoke to me and said, this was my mission, I didn't go and confer with anybody else, with flesh and blood is how he says it at the end of verse 16. How do you explain this? How do you explain, Paul is asking, the fact that I am doing the same kind of work that Peter and James and John and the others are doing, and I have the exact same gospel that those men have? How do you explain this any other way? 
except that the things that I'm saying come from God. And then the third argument he makes, not just the source of his change. How do you explain what's changed in my life? Not just the source of his apostleship. How do you explain this mission I've been given? But also the source of his gospel itself. How do you explain, Paul argues and asks, that the things that I teach are the very same things that you hear the apostles teaching? He's going to talk about that in chapter 2 of Galatians. How do you explain that the things that I'm saying are the very same things? And when Peter hears what I preach, Peter says, that's the same thing I preach. And when John hears what I preach, he says, well, that's the same thing I've been preaching. But Paul says, I want you to know, brethren, after I became a Christian, I want you to kind of follow the geography. In verses 17 through 20, I want you to know, he says, that I had very, very, very little contact with any of the apostles. We didn't sit down together, me and the apostles, and they didn't tell me what they're preaching and what their message is. And I didn't tell them what my message is. Very little contact with the apostles. And I also had very little contact with the church in Israel, in Judea specifically, verses 21 through 24, he says. Bible geography, just for a moment, this is apologetic. You're going to see as you read Galatians chapter 1, verses 16 through 24, a lot of locations being mentioned. And let's just follow for a moment. If you look at verse 17, you'll find, Paul says, when I was converted up in Damascus, I immediately went after my conversion. And you remember what happened in Acts chapter 9. After Saul's conversion, a persecution arose against him because he started preaching about Jesus and how people needed to turn to Jesus. And so, because persecution arose, Saul had to flee. And he says, I fled to Arabia. That's what he says in verse 17. He didn't go back to Jerusalem. He didn't go back to where he came from. He didn't go back to where his home was and where he'd been sent from. He says, I went to Arabia. And it seems that most scholars believe verse 17 seems to indicate that he spent three years there. What was he doing down there in Arabia? One of the things he was doing was he was receiving the revelation that comes from Jesus Christ. That's his whole argument here. Think about it. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they got three and a half years with the Lord. Doesn't it make sense that Paul would get three years with the Lord as well? to hear about the New Testament, to hear about the New Covenant and, and how it works and how God has preordained this from before the foundation of the world and to learn these doctrines and these truths that he's supposed to take into all the world and even one day to die for. He goes to Arabia and then he says, I went back to Damascus and finally he says, look at verse 18, after I went to Damascus, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I remained with him for just 15 days. And so he's saying now that I went to Arabia, came back to Damascus, then I went down to Jerusalem. And when I went to Jerusalem, I didn't stay there a long time. I just saw Peter for about two weeks. That was it. That was all the contact I had with any of the other apostles. He says in verse 19, I saw none of the others except for James, the Lord's brother, and then he says in verse 20, this is apologetics. He says, now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. I am telling you exactly where I've been and exactly who I've been in contact with. And you can take the things that I'm writing and the things that I'm preaching to the bank because I got these things from Jesus, not from any of the apostles. 
Before God, I do not lie, he says. And then he says, afterward, verse 21, I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia. Paul was from Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, that's what we call him before he became an apostle. And that's exactly where he went. He went to Arabia, then he spent two weeks in Jerusalem, then he went back home to Tarsus. And that's where Barnabas found him in Acts chapter 13 when he needed someone to help. Or excuse me, in Acts chapter 11, when he needed someone to help him in the New Testament church there in Antioch. He found him in Tarsus. Look, if you would, at Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, and watch what he says. In Galatians 2, verse 1, he says, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. He is saying, brothers and sisters and friends, other than a two-week stint in Jerusalem after I became a Christian, it was 14 years before I ever went back to Jerusalem. 14 years before I ever saw the apostles again. And he goes on in Galatians chapter 2 and he says, when I finally got to Jerusalem, I sat down with the apostles and they had heard some of the things that I was teaching and I had heard the things they were teaching. And what we did was we sat down for a long period of time and we compared notes. What are James and Peter and John teaching? What is Paul teaching? And he said, when we compared notes, you know what we found after 14 years? We were teaching the exact same gospel. Even though I had been in places like Arabia and Damascus and Syria and Cilicia and Tarsus for 14 years, the things that we were saying to people and the things that we were commanding people to do in the name of God, they were identical. And they extended to me, Paul says, the right hand of fellowship. This is a passage that is to be faith building in us, brothers and sisters. What this man is saying, and nobody contradicted this in the first century. Nobody stood up and said, well, no, he wasn't in those places. The fact that Paul could say these things and people knew this is where he had been, it confirms that the teaching that Paul was giving comes from God himself. When we read passages like 1 Corinthians 14 or Romans chapter 1 or Ephesians chapter 4. When we read those passages, we are reading the very will of God. It comes from Jesus Christ. It is just as authoritative as the red letters in your gospel accounts. That's the message that Paul would have us to hear. And therefore, if we are going to serve and please God, it is incumbent on us to submit our lives to everything everything that not only Paul wrote, but Peter and Matthew and Luke and all the other New Testament writers, because all those men are equally inspired. The gospel, it's not from men, but God. And there is no other way to explain Paul's experience and Peter's experience and Luke's experience and how they all ended up teaching the same things about God and the same things about Jesus Christ and the same things about what you need to do to find salvation in him. There's no other way to explain that except that it had to have come from God himself. It's faith building. It's meant to encourage us and it's meant to strengthen our resolve when people stand up and say, 
Well, that's just Paul's opinion. That's just his cultural viewpoint. You know, he said that, but really he was just taking some, some liberties there and saying some things that he thought really needed to happen in the Lord's church. Absolutely not. And Paul would tell you, I didn't get that out of my own head. It came from the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's listen carefully as the people of God to the writings, not only of Paul, but of all the New Testament. Because the gospel that we preach and the gospel that we believe, it came from Jesus himself. And let's submit our lives to it. Those are reasons to listen to Paul, reasons to listen to God's word. Paul said, if you want to be right with God, the work has been done by what Jesus did for you at the cross. The work has been completed, it's been finished, but you must accept the gift. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Come to Jesus Christ tonight, accept the gift that he offers through faith, repentance, and baptism, and you can be a New Testament Christian right here this evening. If you need to respond in that way, or if you'd like to respond and ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.